Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast which brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into everything that you're interested in in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me, as usual, and I'm pleased to say, uh, is Duncan Castles. And we have a packed pod for you today with regards to all of the breaking news, um, which you will not hear anywhere else uh, except once we've reported it and everyone else follows. Uh, We're going to start with Chelsea. And Duncan, um, we have spoken a lot in the pod recently about um, Chelsea's, uh, let's call it a predicament, with regards to defenders out of contract, um, ones they want to keep, ones they don't want to keep. And um, you have a name uh, of someone who could be coming in to replace, indeed, one of the four out-of-contract players next summer. Yeah, as you say, they've got four of their most experienced defenders um, entering a position where on January the 1st they can negotiate pre-contract deals with clubs outside the UK. Um, Thiago Silva, Cesar Aspilicueta, Andreas Christensen and Antonio Rudiger, um, which is pretty unique, I think, for a club of their status to be in this position. Several of those players they want to keep. Um, you can go back to previous podcasts to hear the details of, of what's going on. But they also would like to improve in defence. They tried to do that in the summer um, by signing Jules Kunde from Sevilla. Um, they had a, a agreement on salary terms with the player. The player was very keen to come. Um, Sevilla... Uh, said publicly that uh, that Kunde wanted to come, but they would not sell him to Chelsea because, uh, in their explanation, Chelsea's formal offer of a transfer fee came too late in the window uh, for them to be able to accept it and replace the player. Um, we detailed in the podcast how Monchi, the sports director at Sevilla, actually raised the asking price for Kunde because of that late offer from Chelsea, Marina Granovskaya refused to match the price and Kunde was left um, to stay at Sevilla and very unhappy about having to stay at Sevilla and, and excluded for the team from a while because of, because of he wasn't in the, the right mental state to play again. Chelsea are continuing to pursue him. They have continued to make it clear that they want to bring him to the Premier League and that they are interested in doing it in January. Obviously, the financial terms remain fine. They were accepted in the summer. Um, and Kunde is basically waiting to see if Granovskaya will meet Monchi's asking price in the window and whether Monchi will move 
the goalposts again uh, to put the price beyond what Chelsea are prepared to pay, not what they're able to pay, but what they're prepared to pay and whether he's going to have to wait till the summer for a move. We told you in the uh, during the last transfer window that was also interest in the player from Real Madrid and a degree of interest from Manchester United. So there is a pressure on Chelsea here, although they have the players' agreement, they do kind of need to get the deal done um, in case another major club comes in and says to Monchi, okay, we'll meet that asking price and are able to say to Kunde, well, we're as good an option as, as Chelsea are. We'll meet the financial terms. Come to us instead. Release clause is 80 million euros. Um, Sevilla are prepared to sell for less than that, but not substantially less. Uh, they, own, they owe a lot of money to Bordeaux, who they signed them from. Um, so a big chunk of the transfer fee will go to Bordeaux and they paid 25 million euros for the player when they when they signed him. Um, he's interesting in that obviously he can play centre-back but is comfortable at right-back. So he, he operates in two of the positions in, in Tuchel's system. He's been playing for France as a right-back. Um, and if Chelsea can get him in, I think that makes the negotiation process and um the, the the decisions over which of those players to to retain and how much they're prepared to offer them easier because they do have a a long term um fixture in the defense sorted if they can secure Kunde. Um mentioned Real Madrid. There's been some reporting today that Madrid are interested in Joe Gomez as um an alternative signing. Uh, to improve their centre-back position. They're definitely interested in Rudiger. So that there's, a, again, a direct contest there between Chelsea and Madrid for, for one of the players involved in this process. I'm told by someone involved in, in the transfer business at Real Madrid that there's no interest in Joe Gomez and exclude that from the, the candidates they're looking at to improve their defence. Strange um, that a club of Chelsea's stature do have this situation where so many of their effectively first choice defenders are out of contract now um we did speak duncan uh, in the last podcast about marcus alonso and Azpilicueta being potentially um not surplus to requirements but certainly the case that obviously with the emergence of reese james and uh, ben chilwell's uh, form being the case that they would not be first choice um i think it seems to me that the 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 problem that uh thomas tuchel may have is not necessarily at fullback but in center back now um it is uh information that uh we have obtained here at the transfer window that tiago silva has a significant financial offer to uh, continue his career in the Middle East, um, which, of course, um, in terms of money, would be uh, attractive because it would be tax-free and also um, the league, of course, the leagues uh, are not necessarily overly competitive. Uh, but Silva himself is extremely competitive. Uh, and your information is that you believe Silva will be offered a new one-year deal. Is that correct? I'd be surprised if, if Chelsea allow him to leave easily. Obviously, 
if the the offer is so substantial, it's difficult for them to match. Um, and they, they put it to Thiago Silva that you are going to have to take less money if you want to remain in the top tier of European football, then perhaps they allow him to go if that's his wish. But um, I was talking to a top level coach about Chelsea, about defenders in the Premier League recently, and he was clear that he feels that Thiago Silva is the best defender at Chelsea, um, the best leader, most decisive in important moments and in important games, and one of the best defenders in the Premier League still. He's 37. He's, he's at a very late stage of his career, but I think the assessment is what does the player actually provide in defence and what do you have to do to replace him and can you find a replacement of his quality without spending a huge transfer fee and, and paying large wages um, to get him in. And Jules Kunde, for all his qualities, is not a like-for-like replacement for Thiago Silva. Um, he's not a particularly tall centre-back. Uh, he, he's more about speed. Um, he has technical qualities are high as are Thiago Silva's, but he, it's not the case you sign Kunde and he slots in and does everything Thiago Silva does. I, I see you see Kunde as more of one to play alongside a Thiago Silva type in that um, three-man centre-back line, or alternatively use him uh, as a to switch with Rhys James if you allow Aspilicueta to go. I think that that's the, the swap in terms of are we going to let one of the experienced Chelsea centre backs leave and replace him with a with a player of a similar type? I think Kunde for Aspilicueta is the one that, that makes more logical sense than Kunde for Thiago Silva. See, that's the the, the kind of the problematic um, aspect, Duncan, that I can uh, interpret in the sense that Rudiger, Christensen, and Silva have formed that back three. Uh, Aspilicueta, Alonso have been bit part players. Um, Christensen, Rudiger uh, are out of contract, obviously. Um, that could be a problem if they lost two of those players. Yes, if they kept Silva, that's fine. Um, but also the fact that there are others who are um, potentially looking or wanting to leave. Um, this could be a very uh, difficult transfer window for Chelsea in terms of, uh, I don't mean January because obviously um, they could keep the players until uh, the summer window. However, um, it would be a difficult one in terms of replacing like for like uh, and also with Thiago Silva being uh, the age he is, um, a one-year contract, well, that's fine for him, but it's not a long-term solution. I think so, but I think on the other hand, as we said in the previous podcast, Granovskaya has a lot of faith in her own abilities. The deck's kind of stacked in her favour in terms of where the international market is. There are few clubs with the kind of resource that Chelsea have. There are a lot of players who are um, running down contracts if the Omicron um, COVID wave becomes so hard that it starts removing spectators from a number of the European leagues, which have already been significantly more stressed by COVID than the Premier League has, then that, that moves in Chelsea's favour too. So 
yes, it is a complicated and it's an unusual problem to solve, but I also see why you as Chelsea can look at it and say, well, maybe we can solve this in our favour. Maybe we don't have to act in quite the same way as you would have done three years ago because the, the distribution of money and, and our leverage in the international transfer market favours us more than, more than it has um, for a long time. From defence to attack, Duncan, and um, we have uh, obviously uh, debated uh, in detail um, Liverpool's uh, decisions regarding the um, infamous uh, front three, as it were, or we should say famous perhaps, infamous is maybe a little bit unkind, uh, of Mane and Salah and Firmino. Firmino has definitely uh, suffered from Diego Jota's um, very good form with regards to his game time. Um, but we do expect, and we have said this on several occasions on the Transfer Under podcast, that we expect Liverpool to cash in on one of their superstar uh, players from the front three. Uh, it has been said very recently by both Jurgen Klopp and Mohamed Salah that uh, he wishes to stay at Anfield and indeed that Klopp uh, does not see a problem with regards to uh, renewing that. I believe you have information regarding a player that Liverpool are very interested in and who could be arriving next summer. Could, yeah, it could be arriving next summer. We, we reported a, a couple of weeks ago that Liverpool have a budget and are targeting a, a top level forward. So significant money to spend to um, improve that position. They're ready to do it in January if the right player becomes available in the January window, but definitely um, will do something in the summer if they have to wait on a particular player. And, and, and this player... Um, who is one of the candidates, it seems more likely that they will have to wait to the summer to get him. It's Luis Diaz at FC Porto, um, generally regarded as the best player in the Portuguese league at present. Uh, he's 24 years old, um, one metre 80. He's very much a Klopp type forward, um, aggressive, lots of running, always busy. Um, he, at Porto, tends to play off the left wing, prepares to prefers to play off the left wing, coming onto his right foot to, to score goals. Having ex an exceptional season with 12 and 15 in the Portuguese league so far, um, two and six in the Champions League, also scored two in the Champions League last season. One of the things that's important here is that he would bring down the wage bill. So you, you mentioned Mo Salah and Klopp saying there's no complication. There's a big complication there and that Salah wants the highest salary that Liverpool have ever paid uh, and is pushing hard to get that. And the question is whether FSG will relent and, and provide something to Salah that's acceptable to him. But if they're going to keep Salah, who has worked hard to try and get to Spain, but I think realises it's, it's difficult to move to Spanish football now in, uh, in the current transfer market and with Real Madrid focused on Kylian Mbappe and Erling Haaland. 
um, then they need to make room in their wage bill. And D- signing Giaz would do that. His, his pay at Porto is 1.4 million net. So Liverpool could easily double that um, and stay well within uh, the, the salary levels they pay to Sadio Mane, um, Salah and Firmino. Um, he's under contract at Porto to 2024. There's an 80 million euro release clause in the contract, which would suggest that in the summer, um, he would be available for perhaps 50, 60 million euros, assuming no other big player um, goes head to head with Liverpool for him. Um, that's very much the price range that Liverpool have operated in. Porto is the kind of club that Liverpool target for these sort of players. It's one where you know if you offer the right money, um, you will get the player. They'll take a profit and the player will want to come to you. The difficulty for January is, as I'm told, that Porto will not sell mid-season. Um, he's too important to the team, would be unacceptable to the supporters and they want to to win the Portuguese league so that the they, they say they have had no direct contact from Liverpool at this stage. They're aware that Liverpool have been in contact with the player, but their position is we won't sell in January, come back again in the summer. Interesting one. Um, obviously, we've spoken already uh, on this pod um, about the uh, Chelsea situation in defence uh, with regards to how um, that will develop. Um, Firmino appears to me to be someone who um, will be unhappy at his game time. Um, Therefore, with Diego Jota doing well and scoring goals uh, and the prospect of Luis Diaz coming in as well, uh, it could be that Liverpool will lose not just one, but two of the players who um, were central to both their Champions League and Premier League uh, victories in the last two seasons, uh, if Diaz, as I said, does arrive. Um, Can you see that being the case, or do you think that Klopp can accommodate at least one more of those players? I I think Liverpool would be delighted if they got an offer for Mane, Firmino or Salah that that met their, their expectations. Um, that was the plan. The plan was to sell one off. Salah? Are you sure? <laughs> if if they got an offer on the pricing that, that they expect for a player who's just about to turn 30 and, we're, and the pricing they expected was 200 million euros, then they take that 200 million euros, they avoid giving Salah the money he expects, um, which is very substantial on a wage bill that's already been greatly increased by FSG. Um, and they replace with uh, a player. Duncan, they'll be they'll be setting fire to the cop end <laughs> if he sells Salah. Something. I'm sorry. I'm. I just. I, I think that that has been the strategy, and they've been very open to that with the player. And you manufacture it in a way that is acceptable to the supporters. They've got themselves now into a scenario where Salah has said that he wants to stay and publicly said he wants to stay. So it's far more complicated for them, but. If they get money for Firmino at a far lesser scale, they will sell Firmino and replace. If they get money for Sadio Mane at more than uh, Firmino and Mane's happy to go there, they will sell and replace. Salah, the price is much higher, but they are aware that 
they don't have takers in this market at the level that Salah expects of club and the level that Salah expects of salary. But this is, it's strategic. It's, we've had the best out of these players that are entering their 30s. Okay, there's an argument that Salah keeps himself in incredible condition and you can get five more years of top performance from them. But the way Liverpool have operated and got themselves into this, this successful state in English and European football is to get the best of the players to sell one or two at top price or over market value um, and reinvest in other areas of the team, fresh refresh in other areas of the team. One of the most interesting um, potential transfers uh, over the next few months is that of Arthur. Um, and there is certainly Duncan, from your information, uh, a uh, interest from Arsenal uh, with regards to the player. Um, however, they do face competition uh, in terms of recruiting him is that correct yeah it, Arthur has become available because uh, Max Allegri is unhappy with his midfield options at Juventus he's got a number of very highly paid individuals in the midfield area that they've they've recruited previously so you have Adrian Rabiot um, Aaron Ramsey and Artur Melo, who came for the remarkable price from Barcelona of 72 million euros plus 10 in performance related variables with Miralem Pjanic going the other way for 60 plus five in what, um, what is well known as a financial fair play um, uh, transaction, which has actually got Juventus along with other transactions they've done into significant trouble and, and the sports director at Fabio Parra. Uh, at Tottenham, Fabio Paratici is part of that trouble at present. Um, he's very well paid as a result of the, the way um, Paratici and Juventus were forced to get that deal done in a hurry in order to, to get him on the 2019-20 the, the FFP accounts. Um, my understanding is he's on 8.5 million euros net at Juventus. Um, Allegri wants as many of those three out as possible. He actually rates Artur as a player more than the other two, but um, is not impressed with his with his behaviour off the field and, and therefore prepared to cash in. Um, ideally, they would sell, but they're offering Artur on loan and they've offered him around the top clubs in Europe. Um, Sevilla have expressed an interest. Arsenal, they're waiting to hear back whether Arsenal will go for that move or not. Um, you and I think you have updated information on where things are on Aaron Ramsey and and the offer he has from Newcastle, which we reported earlier this month. Indeed, um, although I'm just wondering if Arthur um, his off the field um, uh, activities involve cutting tiles in your house, Duncan, because I certainly heard some kind of uh, uh, power tool action in the in the background there. So Arthur, if you're listening. Please stop the day. St keep to your day job, son. Um, yes, uh, Aaron Ramsey, uh, we can uh, update you um, on the basis uh, of what we have already reported. Uh, he is on a substantial salary, of course, at Juventus, having joined on freedom of contract from Arsenal. However, um, 
Newcastle United have made in an offer of a three-year contract. Uh, we understand the salary would be around £150,000 per week basic plus bonuses with a year's option on that three-year deal. Um, something which would be uh, certainly a pay cut for the Wales captain. However, uh, also at his age, um, probably quite attractive on the basis that that contract could um, extend to uh, his 34th birthday uh, and uh, therefore be um, very lucrative in that sense, uh, as well as the fact, of course, that he has had very um, minimal game time um, with uh, Juventus this season and indeed since he moved to Turin, um, generally speaking. Uh, so therefore, swapping um, the black and white of uh, the grand old lady for the black and white of the tune uh, may well be something which is uh, attractive to him. And also, uh, as far as uh, our information here at the Transfer Window podcast is concerned, it is a realistic proposition uh, that it may well happen in January. And of course, as we know, um, massive transfers uh, or extremely um, expensive transfers are not normally uh, conducted in the middle of the season. Duncan Real Madrid are a club who um, are determined also um, to uh, invest in recruitment with regards to uh, their campaign, clearly um, as a major um, contender for the La Liga title, strengthening in January would be something which Carlo Ancelotti, as we both know, um, is very interested in. Um, obviously, we know that the um, pursuit of Kylian Mbappe and Erling Haaland uh, which will take place next June rather than in January, is uh, the major target of the president, Florentino Perez. However, uh, Ancelotti, understandably, um, is looking to uh, augment his current squad in order to uh, give himself and, of course, the club the best chance of succeeding with regards to winning La Liga this season? Yeah, um, Florentino Perez actually believes that they've got a good chance of winning the Champions League again this season. So there's an element of that. They're working, continue to work on Haaland and principally Kylian Mbappe. Um, the Mbappe deal complicated by the draw that, that they have with Paris Saint-Germain in, in the, the next round of the, the Champions League. Ancelotti wants a midfielder in. Um, another, we're talk, looking at another player who uh, who contract terminates this summer, um, Corentin Tolisso, who uh, is a French international, 27 years of age, uh, midfielder, a flexible midfielder, can play basically anywhere in the middle of the park and also operate as a fullback. Ancelotti was at Bayern 
when they signed him in 2017 uh, at the start of Ancelotti's final season in the Bundesliga. He has not been a regular um, participant in the Bayern team. He made 17 Bundesliga starts in that first season and that's the most he's managed in his five campaigns in Germany. He started just four times this season. I'm told this is very much being driven by Ancelotti. Uh, he's asking for the player, uh, as you say, because he, he wants to ensure that they win La Liga and wants to meet the president's ambition that they, they win another Champions League. Uh, and I think the, an element of the attractiveness there is that he would get a player in the dressing room that he knows and trusts and uh, can set an example and, and also be perhaps a source of information for him uh, as to what's going on in the dressing room. Madrid are playing well at the moment uh, and uh, I think Ancelotti wants to take advantage of, of the, his strength of position to uh, request that Tolisso be brought in ahead of his contract expiring in the summer. As we said, Duncan, that Tolisso is one a player who has excelled at international level. As you said, he's not necessarily um, fulfilled um, the uh, potential at Bayern Munich. But uh, in times when he has played, I've certainly been very impressed uh, by his performances. Um, and uh, it's intriguing that you say some he he would be someone in the dressing room that Carlo could uh, depend upon in terms of um, giving him information back. As we both know, Real Madrid is a complicated dressing room. Um, and no, Carlo, no, it's not. And Carlo Ancelotti <laughs> is a very experienced and wily manager uh, who is prepared to generally to prepared to use every tool at his disposal. So I think he wants the Tolisso tool added to his Real Madrid toolkit um, for this particular <laughs> campaign. <laughs> his Tolisso toolkit. I love that. That's a great phrase. We're going to use that again at some point, that's for sure. Interesting um, developments, uh, Duncan, which you have information upon uh, regarding, um, we talk quite a lot, don't we, on the Transfer Window podcast about uh, sport directors and their importance or not to a club's uh, performance. And Dan Ashworth at Brighton and Wellbeing, who, of course, uh, began his uh, career at West Bromwich Albion and then moved to the Football Association before being uh, recruited by Tony Bloom, the uh, chairman and owner of Brighton, uh, with regards to heading up, uh, obviously, the restructure of the academy and then as well as the recruitment uh, policy and programme at the club. Wanted by Newcastle, you um, have information, I understand, with regards to the offer that's been made to Ashworth and the uh, probability or possibility, we should say, that that offer may well be uh, something which um, Ashworth would find difficult to turn down. Yeah, this is a very interesting situation in that Newcastle United have 
uh, after spending a huge amount of time um, interviewing a, a large number of candidates for the sports director role, they've uh, employed the city recruitment company, Nolan Partners, to help them find the sports director. Nolan Partners famously hired by Ed Woodward to overhaul the scouting department at Manchester United. And you can come to your own conclusion whether that was a good investment of, of money. Um, but they have proposed Dan Ashworth, um, who I think oh, there's Arthur Mello again. I can hear him in the background. <laughs> um, we don't know what Dan Ashworth's tiling skills are, but his reputation <laughs> in, a, a, as a technical director has been, I think, embellished by what happened at West Bromwich Albion. He had inherited a good position from Richard Garlick there. Don't, don't you mean a tiling director? <laughs> um, and uh, and then was the head of elite development at the FA during a period in which English national teams have uh, achieved their best results for, for decades. Um, I think he's done a reasonable job at, at Brighton. I don't think he would be my first choice if I had the capital that uh, Saudi Arabia and Newcastle have at the disposal in that he hasn't actually operated at that end of the market before. So this is going to be a different type of job for him and a different type of uh, attention to, to his work and a, and a different type of transfers and contracts he's dealing with. But I can see why Nolan Partners have gone there. That's very much the obvious uh, lead candidate um, if you're a, a city recruitment company and he has a substantial offer from Newcastle United. My information is it's £2 million annual salary as a basic with substantial bonuses on top. Now that is more than double what he's paid at, at Brighton and Hove Albion. Brighton have given Ashworth permission to speak to Newcastle United. Um, my understanding is that they have uh, offered Ashworth an improved deal, but the money they are able to offer him is not at the same level as, as Newcastle United have offered for obvious reasons. Um, so this comes down, I think, to a decision and an interesting decision from Ashworth. Do you take the opportunity that's involved with Newcastle United and Saudi Arabia? And this, this is a group that plans to be competitive at the top level of the Premier League and the Champions League in five years' time. So there is vast resource there and vast ambition, um, but also a great deal of risk. And uh, as we've discussed in the podcast, not a great deal of, of football knowledge amongst the ownership group. Um, so you could put what has been a very successful career at this stage on the line by taking that job, or you can decide to stay at Brighton and Hove Albion, who are generally admired in division, very well organised, um, very well supported by an owner who does understand football and uh, and has a clear ambition to to improve Brighton's lot in, in the Premier League and push them towards European competition in the not too distant future. The safer job is the Brighton job. The the more dramatic and the, and the draw, job with the greater potential is a Newcastle United job. But equally, you could end up being in the championship in the space of a few months and, and having that job radically changing in character. Um, and I, I'm fascinated to see what, what Ashworth decides to do here. It will be. Um, Brighton seemed to be quite a fashionable club um, with regards to uh, potential recruitment with uh, Graham Potter, their head coach, uh, being mentioned f uh, for jobs 
uh, as diverse as Tottenham and the England national team. And now Dan Ashworth, obviously, uh, being uh, courted by Newcastle United. Before we um, bring the transfer window podcast to a close for the first one of the week uh, with the hero and villain section, Duncan, um, I think you want to discuss something about um, pink birds who um, sleep uh, and uh, rest on one leg. (laughs) Uh, Sort of. Um, Flamengo, (laughs) um, biggest club in in Brazil, are uh, chasing a new coach at present. They're trying to bring Jorge Jesus back, um, who was incredibly successful in the one season, one year he spent there between 2019-2020, moved um, to Brazil, won the Campeonato Brasileiro straight away, won the Copa Libertadores and went to the Club World Cup where he only lost to Liverpool in extra time and and, and ran them very close in that game. Um, by a margin, um, the most successful coach Flamengo have had in, in recent years. They'd like to bring him back. I'm told it's very difficult for him to go back for personal reasons. At the same time, he's under significant pressure at Benfica and that Benfica hired him back from Flamengo after that successful season, gave him um, over 100 million euros to spend on players with the, with the aim of going deep into the Champions League and definitely winning the Portuguese league title back. They have won nothing since he came back. He's out of contract there in the summer. And um, the you know the feeling uh, and the information I have from Portugal is that they feel he's using that Flamengo interest to try and secure a contract extension at Benfica, which at present looks unlikely to come. Uh, Flamengo's response has been to send um, a, a, a directorial team over to Portugal to try and convince Jesus to come, but also to look at options um, for other Portuguese coaches because they feel that they had such success by bringing um, a Portuguese tactician to Brazil and they think they can replicate that by taking someone else from the country. And one of the individuals they have uh, approached is Rui Faria, um, formerly assistant to Jose Mourinho at Manchester United, Chelsea, FC Porto, Inter, Real Madrid. One of the most successful assistant coaches in, in the history of the game, won 25 uh, major titles in tandem with Mourinho and, and won um, a, a trophy at uh, his first club where he managed in his own right, Al Duhel in, in Qatar, winning the Emir Cup there and then putting them in a position to win the, the QSL against a, a far better funded and resourced um, Al Sad side uh, coached by Xavi, who's now at, at Barcelona. Um, I'm told that Flamengo asked him, would he be interested in taking the job? Uh, Faria was um, honoured to have an invite to a club of that stature, but his preference is very much to remain um, in European football, get back into European football for for a coaching job into one of the the, the top leagues, and has has turned them down on that basis. And of course, the most important part of this story is: is it true, and can you confirm the rumours that you have offered? George Jesus, the job as your new Tyler. <laughs> uh, G- given that Arthur Mello seems to be a bit noisy. 
<laughs> well, if Benfica sack him, uh, there might be some tiling to finish in the new year. So, uh, we excellent news. Excellent. Uh, we shall uh, be in touch with George uh, to make that offer to him, and of course, we'll bring you up to date. Um, with regards to what he has to say about it. Duncan, it's hero and villain time, and I invite you, please, to um, give us your hero of the week. I, I don't think he's been a hero in the transfer window podcast before, but he's definitely uh, merits that status for um, for his time as a player. It's Samuel Eto'o, um, one of the greatest African players of all time, uh, for commenting on, on the... the the desperation to have uh, the Africa Cup of Nations postponed, um, which we've seen in in the last few weeks. We we mentioned that the European Club Association had written a letter um, detailing conditions they wanted met before they would allow their players to, to play in the tournament. And there were conditions which were almost impossible to meet. And um, it has been uh, stated by CAF um, today that they will play the tournament regardless. They're not going to postpone. Um, and Eto's response, I think, puts it uh, quite astutely. He says, if the Euros took place in the middle of the pandemic with full stadiums in several cities in Europe and there was no problem, why wouldn't AFCON be played in Cameroon, which of course is his home country? Or are you trying to say that like we've always been treated, we Africans aren't worth anything, so we have to put up with it? I don't see why AFCON wouldn't take place. The Cameroon FA that I represent will defend hosting this competition to the end. Um, I, th I think he's absolutely on the money there. Um, why do we treat African Cup of Nations as a uh, as a second class tournament when great risks were uh, were taken on to to have that European Championship with people travelling across multiple countries in in Europe? Um, and mostly full stadia um, not that long ago, as he said, in the middle of a pandemic. Very good choice of hero um, there, Duncan. Um, very uh, justified response um, with regards to African Cup of Nations. Um, villain of the week, bit different. Harry Kane is going to be uh, my choice on the basis that his challenge um, on Andy Robertson, um, which did not result in a red card, despite the fact that Robertson himself uh, received a red card. Um, when Liverpool were 2-1 up, Robertson, of course, having provided an assist and scored a goal uh, in that match. Uh, was uh, viewed as uh, not a red card offence by referee Paul Tierney, who did red card uh, the Scotland international left-back. Uh, even Jurgen Klopp, who we do not normally praise on the podcast, not because we get anything against him, but uh, he was uh, outraged and felt that the decision was indefensible. Um, and it's also the case that uh, when VR instructed uh, Paul Tierney to review Robertson's challenge, and uh, that did result in the red card for him. Uh, it's one of those situations which, you know, can have a huge um, 
influence on the outcome, not just of one football match, but of course of the championship itself. Uh, Klopp uh, said afterwards that the tackle from Kane could have broken Robertson's leg. Um, you believe, Doug, can I, I understand that um, the only difference in the two challenges was that uh, one was in the air and the other wasn't. Is that correct? I personally, I think I think uh, Kane's challenge was more dangerous. I think uh, Robertson's was stupid and malicious and deserved the red card, but Kane's was out of control um, at at a higher pace. Um, the interestingly, we got an off record explanation from PGMOL, which was that because Robertson was jumping out of the way, they considered it to be less dangerous than Robertson's uh, later red card, which I think is ludicrous. Um, just one one thing on on uh, on the assist goal and uh, and red card treble that uh, that Robertson got. Someone on on Twitter commented that that, that uh, represented a, a Diego Costa special. <laughs> The the hat trick, <laughs> as it were. Um, interesting, Klopp said um, uh, after the game that definitely uh, the, ch- the challenge from Kane was stronger. He said, we can give Robo a red card. It's not the smartest challenge of his life, which is honest, but that's definitely a red card, no doubt about it. Uh, we have VAR sitting there, and he's had a look at the Robo situation, fine. That's what he's there for. But what did he do in the Kane situation? And the penalty situation with Diogo Jota, Tierney told me he thinks Diogo stops on purpose because he wants the foul. If you want to shoot, you have to stop because you cannot run and shoot at the same time. Um, so uh, lots of uh, controversy with regards to that particular incident. Um, I heard Patrick Vieira speak recently about his time as Arsenal captain, and he was asked the question, um, is it the case that when you wear the armband, you do not get punished as much when you foul or make illegal challenges. And Vieira, who I've always found to be an extremely honest person and also uh, someone who is forthright in his opinion, said, absolutely the case. Now, Hugo Lloris is the captain of Tottenham Hotspur, but probably, more importantly, Harry Kane's the captain of England. Yeah, is and it is it the case you get punished less when you're a captain of England? Um, let's ask what Alan Shearer. Let's, let's, let's ask or David, what, or David Beckham, <laughs> the people who refereed Alan Shearer's career about that one. One of the one of the most aggressive and consistently fouling forwards in the history of the the Premier League, and how many times he received the red card. Well, just ask Neil Lennon about elbows, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> which was an absolutely outrageous challenge by Shearer uh, when Lennon was at Leicester and uh, Shearer was at Newcastle United. Um, Google that one, people, and uh, make a decision for yourself. So that is the uh, news before it becomes news uh, for the Transfer Window podcast. Uh, We hope that you have enjoyed um, 
our debate today, please engage with us. As you know, we uh, like to get your views and also to um, hear what you want to say. And of course, um, we will um, include it in uh, the next pod. So uh, get in touch via our um, uh, social media platforms, which of course are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Duncan is at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I'm at Garbo SJ. And you can find us on YouTube. Just search uh, for Transfer Window Podcast. Until next time, uh, stay uh, safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Hey.